as Darren mentioned, Pastor Matt has been sick all week, um, so I'm going to be pinch hitting for him today. Uh, I think he's kind of prophetic because probably about three or four weeks ago, uh, we had a conversation and, you know, he's like, hey, with all the sickness going around, maybe you should have an emergency sermon planned so on the off chance I get sick and can't make it. And so I said yes, but I was like, really, you're going to be fine. This is not going to be a problem. And so here we are today. Um, so luckily we had that conversation and so uh, not just going from scratch today. Um, so that's a good thing. We are excited that each of you is here. Uh, if this is your first time, we're grateful to have you um, Hopefully we'll have some time uh, going over God's Word and see what He has to say to us. But because of, of Matt's sickness, we're not going to continue in the book of Mark for this week. Um, we're going to take a break from that for one week, and Matt will continue that when he comes back next week, hoping he's healthy and good to go. So we are going to be in Luke chapter 7. Today, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. There's a couple of questions um, that people usually ask themselves throughout life, right? Some big existential questions. Is there a God? Is He real? Is there a heaven? What, what do I do if He is real? What am I supposed to do about that? How do I have a relationship with God? What does that look like? And so today we're going to see there are two different paths to how we believe that we obtain this salvation. The words are going to be up on the screen, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, the way it talks about the woman in this story, most scholars believe that it's, it means that this woman is a prostitute. So what we're going to talk about today is when it comes to obtaining salvations, there are two choices. You are either the Pharisee or you're the prostitute. I know we don't love to hear those words using that language, but those are the only two options. There's no, there's no third option. I mean, I guess maybe Jesus is the third option, but I don't think anybody wants to try and claim that or go that route. 
So we need to see how this works. We need to look at each person and see how they were trying to obtain righteousness and salvation, how they could be made right with God. So let's start with the Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisees were considered the religious elite in Jewish culture, right? They were kind of like the, the ones who, they created all the rules, right? And they followed them the best. We know, in the, a lot of us know in the Old Testament, God gave the Ten Commandments. But the Pharisees went farther and amassed about 613 rules that you were supposed to follow. And if you didn't follow them and you didn't make restitution for them, you were considered unclean. So that's, first of all, that's a lot of rules to follow. Uh, but the Pharisees were kind of seen as, as having power because they were the best at following these rules. And that in turn gave them this sense of superiority, right? That's why when, when this woman comes in, they're just appalled by this. They can't stand the fact that this woman has come in. And this, the understanding about this is that this is a formal dinner. In verse 36, it talks about Jesus reclined at the table. In case you're wondering what that means, we have a picture, um, there we go, of Jesus reclining. This is what it means in the first century to recline at the table was you laid on your side and kind of like on your elbow, and that's how you ate. Um, I'm grateful we don't do that now. Um, I'm sure most of you guys are too. Uh, but that's what it was. This was considered a very formal setting. And so the Pharisee inviting Jesus in is a very significant thing to begin with because the Pharisees were all about following rules, and that's what they told the Jewish people was you have to follow these rules. And this other man, Jesus, comes along and says, listen, it, it's not about following rules. It's about a change of heart. And so that's why they were appalled by the woman, the woman kissing Jesus' feet, because they were very judgmental towards her. Now, from their perspective, this makes sense, right? If you have decided these are the rules you need to follow to make yourself right with God, then anyone that doesn't meet that, you have to think that they're less than you are. You have to think worse of them than you think of yourself. Because if you're setting this standard, okay, listen, I, there's a God, I want to get right with God, so I'm going to make these rules, this is how I'm going to follow God. Whoever doesn't match up to your rules, you think less of them. We see that in church all the time. There are people that come in, and some of us will think to ourselves, oh, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I don't look like that person. You know, I, I'm glad that my views on alcohol are different than this person. You know, I'm, I'm glad that my kids are well-behaved and this person's having trouble at home with their children. Because when you think that way, when you create the standard, everyone has to measure up to your standard, or you have to think less of them. And that's how the Pharisees were. So if you're a Pharisee in this situation, right, if that's your attitude that you decide what gets you right with God, then whoever doesn't measure up to that, you will begin to despise them. Or again, think of yourself as being superior than they are. And what's so fascinating is the Pharisee is even more upset at Jesus than he is at the woman. Because Jesus doesn't respond to the woman the way the Pharisee wants him to. Look in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So he's calling out Jesus because Jesus didn't call out the woman. Because Jesus, by not reprimanding her, he is accepting her. And for the Pharisee, if you live in this mindset where you have to meet these rules to gain acceptance, then you're really going to be angry at somebody who doesn't have to follow those rules to gain acceptance. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is accepting her for who she is because of her love. 
if we have this mindset where we get to make the rules, we also get to decide who's worthy. So in that situation, right, when we give people who come into church, we give them the side eye because they don't measure up to what we like, we're basically claiming to be God in that situation. We're claiming that we are worthy of making that decision ourselves of who is right, of who has earned our acceptance. And the reason we have to think less of somebody if they don't measure up to us is because we don't look good, right? We don't look good unless we can make someone else look worse than us, right? If my relationship with God, if my rightness with God is based on these rules, then I need to stand above other people. I need to be the best at this rule following, so that means somebody else needs to be worse. So we get this situation, right, where we've set this establishment. This is how you get right with God. And so then you can say, you know what, I'm a lot better than this person that I see over here. So then the person over here says, well, listen, my sin may be worse than yours, but it's definitely better than this lady lives down the street from me. Okay, so let's, let's go here. Well, maybe my sin's not, you know, my, my sin's bad, but it's not as bad as the person over here. And every time we make that comparison, we get further and further away from Jesus. We get further and further away from God, whose standard is perfection. So when we see through that lens, none of us measure up. There is, no, there is no we get further and further because we're all far, the, far away from it. So we have to despise those who don't operate the same way as we do. Now, to the Pharisee's surprise, not only does Jesus accept the woman, but he chastises the Pharisee. It's awesome to see how Jesus just, just changes everything up because he's looking at the heart. So now let's, let's take a look at the woman, verses 37 and 38. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. She's referred to as a woman of the town and a sinner. Again, this whole, the, there's universal belief that she was a prostitute. She's called a sinner three, by three separate people in this. Luke, who, who wrote the book, calls her a sinner. The Pharisee calls her a sinner. And guess what? Jesus also calls her a sinner. So there's not this false idea that she's putting on this second face to like give this appearance that she's something more than what she is. She's a sinner that's talked about. Jesus understands that. Simon, the Pharisee, also knows it. But they have completely different reactions to that fact. One is filled with grace, one is filled with hatred and despising somebody. So this woman at some point in her life has heard about Jesus because when she hears that he's at the Pharisee's house, she's obviously close enough, so she runs over there. And again, she's not passive in her actions towards Jesus. She begins to weep. She wets her feet with her tears, wipes them with her hair. Being at someone's feet like this was a tremendous act of humility. The reason being is because everybody's feet were disgusting, right? People, they didn't have odor eaters. They didn't have socks and shoes. There was no working septic system, right? Even Jesus' feet were gross and nasty. That's why they, there's all the foot washing talked about in the Bible. But this woman places herself at Jesus' feet. Jesus puts herself there and just, and just opens up. It's just completely vulnerable. It says, this is who I am. She no longer cares what people think. She doesn't care that this is humiliating for her. 
She just knows that she needs Jesus, that that is her only hope. So when we think about our lives, how many of us are willing to be humiliated for Jesus? How many of us will say, you know what, I don't care what the rest of the world thinks, I, I, I want Jesus? The majority of us will say, you know what, as long as it doesn't embarrass me or create awkward conversations, then I'll tell everybody that I'm cool with Jesus. But as soon as it's hard for me or as soon as it's uncomfortable for me, then I'm not so sure that I want to like shout that out. But this woman falls at Jesus' feet because she knows that's the only chance that she has. And Simon, and again, when Simon chastises Jesus, right, he says, who is this guy? If he really were a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. Now, he says this internally, but Jesus, being Jesus, understands Simon's heart. And so he gives Simon this parable. Let's look in verses 41 through 43. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. That was about two years worth of wages, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So it's important to see the reasoning behind this parable that Jesus is using. Right? Two people owed money. Right, so let's say you have two people that owe somebody money, but these two people each have $0 in their bank account. Does it matter if they owe $10 or $1,000? They can't pay. If I have zero, I, if I owe you 10 or owe you 1,000, it doesn't matter. I can't pay you either one. I can't pay you either one. But what's so fascinating, and this is make sure, please pay attention to see how this connects to what Jesus has done for us. In verse 42, it's talking about the moneylender. He forgave the debts of both. Neither person was capable of paying what they owed, yet the moneylender forgave both. Now, if you have Simon, the Pharisee's mindset, then one person's going to be happier than the other. One person's going to be like, well, it's only 50, so not that big a deal, but the person who, who was forgiven the 500 will be more excited not understanding that both of them should be equally excited because they both had a bill they couldn't pay. But here's what we need to understand. That money did not just disappear. Somebody had to absorb that cost. Someone had to cover that. And I want you to think about how beautifully that translates to what Jesus has done for us. One sin, one sin separates us from God. So if someone like the Pharisee would probably say he's probably only sinned about 10 to 15 times in his life, right? And he would say the prostitutes probably sinned about 1,000 times in her life. The same is true with the debt. They both owe a debt that neither of them can pay. It doesn't matter if you sin five times or 5,000, you're still separated from God. You're still separated from God regardless of that. And so it goes completely against everything that Simon is thinking. But here's what's beautiful. Just like the moneylender, someone had to bear the cost of our sins. Someone had to pay the price. Because it's not as though God said, you know what? Okay, okay everything's cool. I'm just not going to punish anybody. I'm just going to let your sin go free. He sent Jesus to absorb that cost, to be the punishment and receive the punishment for our sins, for my sin for your sins, for the sins of the world, God sent Jesus. 
because all of us have a debt that we can never pay. There is no amount of good things that you can do that's going to earn you a right standing with God. In a way that we can think, we need to ask ourselves, do I feel this way? Do I see people in that way? An easy way to tell that there's someone you look at and then you begin to get prideful that you're not like them, there's a good chance your mindset is more in line with the Pharisee. If we see somebody and we're prideful that we're not the way that they are, thank God I'm not like that person, then that's our mindset. Our mindset is that we can be good enough and that we are good enough. But Jesus bore that cost for us. And here's, here's another way. I heard this story. Um, there was a man who went to church, and he had trouble fully grasping the grace of God. Because in his mind, he didn't think he should be as separated from God as, say, someone who was a murderer. So this guy was like, listen, I, I've, I've done good things, right? I, I've never been in jail, you know. I don't drink, smoke, or cuss. You know, my, my kids are good. And he should be closer to Jesus than the person, let's say, who has, who has killed people. And so to deal with this, he said, here's the way he envisioned it, was he thought about the Grand Canyon. Right? And he said, he said, in my mind, I'm on this side of the Grand Canyon, Jesus is on the other side, and my job is to jump as far as I can, and then Jesus will get the rest of the way and, and, and cover the difference. So in his mind, if he, him and this murderer, if he jumps a farther distance because of his good works, then Jesus doesn't have to do as much work to rescue him. Now, uh, Matt and I are, Pastor Matt and I are both very competitive people, right? He's taller, so he could probably jump farther than I can. But have any of you guys been to the Grand Canyon? I'm assuming we've at least all seen pictures of it, right? So let's say that Matt can jump five feet farther than I can. If both of us start on one side of the Grand Canyon, does it matter that he can jump five feet farther than me? No, we're both dead. We're both dead, right? That's the reality of it. We're, we're both dead. Because if we have this idea that we can jump part of the way and then Jesus kind of makes up the difference, it's horrible theology. Because what we're saying is that we contribute to our salvation. Right? And in some of my studying, I, there was this pastor from England, um, it's, I think it was the 1800s, his name is William Temple. And he came across this quote that's going to be up on the screen. And this is, I love this because this is just so true. The only thing of our very own which we contribute to our salvation is the sin which makes it necessary. That's all we contribute. Jesus died on the cross because that was necessary to cover our sin. That's the only part we have to play in this. There's nothing we do that's good enough. Nothing. So to have this idea that those of us who are believers, when we sometimes approach people with arrogance, makes absolutely zero sense. Think about how Jesus responded to the woman compared to Simon, the Pharisee. Jesus knew the only thing that she could contribute was her sin, but Jesus knew the same thing about Simon as well. The only thing Simon could contribute to his own salvation was sin. And so Jesus isn't telling Simon, listen, you're, you're, not, you're not as bad as her. What he's trying to get Simon to understand is that they have both sinned, they're both separated from God, and without Jesus, both of them will spend eternity apart from God. 
So when we're in that situation, if we have the same mindset as Simon, right, if we think we can make a, that big jump across the Grand Canyon and God covers the rest, if that's the case, then that means we don't need a lot of Jesus. We just need a little bit. We just need a little bit of grace. We just need a little bit of forgiveness. And if you think that way, guess what you're going to give other people? Just a tiny bit of grace. Just a tiny bit of forgiveness. Because we don't see that we have been given full grace and full forgiveness. And there was nothing that we could have ever done to earn that right, to feel accepted. Because if we have that mindset, people have to earn our forgiveness. People have to earn our acceptance. Thank God that he is not that way. Because we don't extend grace if we think it has to be earned. But if we see the reality of our sin and that all of our sin separates us from God, then we understand the grace that we've been given, the forgiveness that we've been given, the links that God went to to restore us to a right relationship by punishing his own son on the cross for our sin, for my sin, for your sin, for the prostitute's sin, for the Pharisee's sin, for all of that, God sent Jesus because we are all in need of it. Every single one of us is in need of it. And so we need to talk about how does that look for us? What are we, what are, what are we kind of, how are we kind of viewing this? Because a lot of times what happens, we get into church, and this is especially true as, as you guys know, most of you guys know, I'm also the family pastor here, so that's birth through seniors in high school. So for high school students, what I've seen over my life is when people come into church, they say, you know what, let's make sure the kids don't drink, smoke, do drugs, or get pregnant before they leave. These are the behaviors we want to see of our kids, right? That's what we go, and, and those are fine things. But when we go along and kids are behaving right, then we don't really care so much if they have Jesus. Our goal should be life transformation, not behavior modification, because that doesn't work. Behavior modification, Simon the Pharisee, listen, if you saw Simon, you would think he was a good Christian, just based on outward appearance. That's what you would think. You would never know that he was completely far from God. So when we see that, when we look at people, we work on this, how do I get somebody's behavior? If your concern is someone's behavior ahead of their heart, then there's a good chance that you kind of have this Pharisee mindset. If, that's your, if your number one concern is that kids or people don't embarrass you, then that's a problem. First of all, they're going to embarrass you regardless, right? That's just part of the deal. But that should not be our goal. Our goal should be transform lives. Our goal should be to give people Jesus, not just to make sure they're doing the right things in our book and measuring up to our standards of what a Christian should be. So the question becomes for us, are we the prostitute or are we the Pharisee? Again, those are the only two options. We can either say, you know what, I'm going to work hard enough and be good enough to gain my salvation, or we can humbly and in full humility throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Only one of those is going to work. I love what Jesus says to the woman, and Jesus does not ignore her sin. He doesn't say, hey, it's okay, you've been sinning, go ahead, do whatever. In verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And in verse 50, it says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. What did she do to earn that? Nothing. 
She, she didn't come to Jesus' feet, and then Jesus says, you know what, go do these 75 good things, and then come back to me, and we'll see how things are at that point. He accepted her where she was because she knew that her only hope was in Jesus. For you and I, our only hope is in Jesus. I don't care how good we think we are. Our only hope is in Jesus. So let's think about that, right? Let's think about how we're going to live that out this week. How when we have these times in our mind where we're going to, we think something about somebody else, and instead of extending to them the grace given to us, we'd rather just extend judgment because that's easier. That's easier for us. So the question we have to ask again, do you believe your acceptance has been earned? Your acceptance with God has been earned, or do you know that you are accepted by Jesus because of the finished work of the cross? Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful that you don't do things the way we would do them. God, I'm so thankful that there's not this list of rules that we have to go through to earn your acceptance, to earn your forgiveness, to earn your grace. You did not offer Jesus because we deserved it, but because you are faithful and because you love us. There's no amount of things we could have done to earn that right. God, I pray that you will help us understand that our sin, all of our sin, separates us from you. God, we have a debt that we could never pay. And you took care of that. God, I pray for those who are here that have not placed their faith in you, God, their trust in you. Lord, I pray that you will put it upon their hearts, God, to understand that apart from Jesus and his work on the cross, we have no hope when it comes to our salvation. God, and I pray for those who are here today who are already believers, who've already placed their faith in you. God, let us not, now that we have been given grace, let us not revert back to creating our own standard for others to measure up to. But God, let us be abundant when we give grace. Let us be abundant when we give forgiveness, understanding that we were forgiven everything, that we were given unlimited grace by you. We thank you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.